if we want to know what the workplace is going to look like in three years' time or five years' time, then the answer is right in front of us. We need to study and observe Gen Z. I think the world is flat now or it's getting flatter. And the idea that you can hire somebody on the other side of the world to work for your company or for you as a designer or a programmer or a marketing person or a search engine specialist, there's just so many specialist roles that would be contracted out to individuals or small companies or boutique agencies where geography just doesn't matter. We don't care what time zone you're in as long as you get the job done and you communicate effectively with us. We just said the world is flat from a labor perspective. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Well, hello, Looking Forward listener. That was Dennis O'Shea who is again our guest expert on today's episode of Looking Forward. Let me ask you something. Do you get annoyed by having to have 200 or maybe it's 2,000 passwords? Okay, maybe you only have 100 or so like me, but it's still annoying, right? Can you imagine a world that's passwordless? Maybe you're lucky enough to be there right now. For me, it still seems like taking a voyage to some faraway place. You know, like Mars? Yet Dennis says most of us should get there soon. He also has a lot to say about Generation Z and what impact they're going to have on tomorrow's working world. And if you're one of those people who needs a heavy tug on the arm to protect yourself, your phone, and your computer, you'll really appreciate what Dennis has to say about that. But what I really love in this second part of our two-part series with Dennis O'Shea is his excitement about the huge number of opportunities he sees for people all over the world especially those who know how to communicate and collaborate effectively. In this case, Dennis is speaking about opportunities related to computer and phone security, the expanding and improving technology tools available to us, and the ever-increasing number of mobile workers around the world. Before we get to my conversation with Dennis, let me tell you just a little bit about him. He founded his company, Mobile Mentor, in New Zealand in 2004. Since then, Mobile Mentor has helped many companies and millions of people unlock the full potential of their technology. In 2017, Dennis moved to Nashville, Tennessee to launch the company's United States business with a focus on securing the mobile workforce in a variety of industries, such as healthcare, education, finance, and government services. You'll find a lot more about Dennis, Mobile Mentor, the Microsoft Award it earned in 2021, its clients, research, and more by visiting the podcast page at www.jeff-ostroff.com. Looking forward, as you may know, Dennis, is called that in part because we look into the future. If you had to predict what trends or changes we'll see in addressing these workforce security issues that you've talked about, These cyber attacks you've spoken about and written about employee privacy concerns. And another thing I know you've spoken about and written about is employee retention. So over the next few years, what would you hope that we might see post-pandemic, assuming we truly get to a post-pandemic era? I'll answer this in two ways. 
but talk a little bit about the technology first and then about people, which is sure. what I'm really passionate about. So from a technology perspective, I think we just need to hurry up and get to a, a passwordless future. And we're not as far away from it as people think. You know, when we talk about going passwordless, some people freak out and think, oh my God, what is that? But let me explain how we're already quite close. If you've got an iPhone and millions and millions of people do today, the iPhone can scan your face and it reads about 300,000 data points on your face. And it says, oh, it's Jeff Ostroff with a very high degree of confidence. And it signs you into the operating system. It's called iOS. And so now you, you recognize you're authenticated, you're signed into the Apple system. And then any apps that were trusted apps that you've downloaded from Apple, you also get into those apps with your face. That's called single sign-on. So you had a single sign-on event, which then essentially federates you, takes you into all these other accounts without doing another password entry or another authentication event. And then if you want to log into a specific account, like a bank account or something else sensitive, they'll probably send you a code and you punch in that four or six digit code and you're in. That's called two-factor authentication. If we combine those three basic ideas, we have biometrics, which is scanning your face or reading your fingerprint, or in future, listening to your voice, or in future, scanning your retina. That's the biometrics. That gets you into the first stage. Then single sign-on will take you into all your applications. And more and more apps and applications are becoming single sign-on enabled. And then two-factor authentication, which will be on all our services, all our accounts. Those three together gives us the ability to go passwordless. So the future is that an employee joins a company and instead of being told, well, here are all your passwords for all your accounts and applications and programs, they'll be told, here's a one-time temporary access code. And you punch this code into your device when you set it up on day one. The device will read your face, will maybe listen to your voice, do your fingerprint, check that it absolutely, unconditionally is you. And they can associate your face and your finger and your voice with your identity and with your phone number and with this machine. And it does a very thorough authentication event once on the first morning. But from then on, you can be pretty much passwordless. Like I haven't used the password for about 18 months because my laptop scans my face, signs me into everything. That's the biometrics part. Then I've got single sign-on to my apps and my phone's going bing during the day with codes I punch in to get into some accounts. It works. We've been doing it for quite a while. And my guidance to business leaders is that you're not that far away. It just needs a push. And that's probably the best thing we can do to protect ourselves, protect our organizations, protect our client data, protect our employees. Let's go passwordless. Do you see something like that happening in the 20s, in the next three to five years? And what is it that needs to happen for this to take place? It's happening this year and it will happen next year and the year after. And within two or three years, I predict people will look at passwords and laugh about them almost in the way you and I were laughing about fax machines before. Really? Because we just don't need them. You know, that's proven now. We don't need them. Like imagine how annoyed you would be if you had to type a password into your iPhone every time you pick it up to read a message. It would right. drive you bonkers. Right. So you've already got used to the how smooth and how fluent and easy it is to pick it up and it looks at your face and, and it logs you in, right? We, we, we all have. That's where we need to go. And for organizations that are still asking their employees to type passwords on their laptop all day, that's just tiring and it's insecure. So I think this change is, is happening right now all around us. We see many of our client organizations doing it. And any organization that is using Microsoft technology, so Office 365 or Microsoft 365, 
you've got the tools, you've got the technology. So now it's just a case of moving the people and making this a priority. So what you're talking about is the tools are already available. It's a question of the leadership making the decision to go forward with this? Correct. And making it a priority. And making it a IT, priority. Because IT teams are overloaded, you know, worldwide. The IT teams in most organizations have too much to do and not enough time. And they're struggling to get enough staff and retain the staff they have. And there's just too much going on. But if they can make going passwordless a priority, it's going to be a project that will take, you know, months or years in large organizations, but it will significantly improve security, significantly, and also significantly improve their employees' experience. Because employees love it. You know, it's just a beautiful experience and you can easily do with the very annoying experience of having to call a service desk and ask for a password reset. We can get past that very easily. Yes. Other than your own company, can you name any company or companies that are already moving ahead with this? I could, but I shouldn't. Okay. Well, then don't. <laughs> I, well, no. I, I shouldn't, but I can tell you there are many. Schools have been doing single sign-on for a long, long time. Okay. Using a whole bunch of funky tools, some of them open source freeware tools, some not. The education sector has been in this space for a long time because they've got so many applications. Healthcare has been doing it for a while. When you're in the hospital, you'll see the nurse has a little plastic card, a gray plastic card, and they walk up to a computer and they swipe that card across a little pad that's beside the keyboard and that logs the nurse into the machine. Ah. So they're not using passwords because they don't have time. And just swipe on, swipe off, swipe on, swipe off, 100 times a day. Yes. It's all around us if we observe what people are doing. Some of those tools and technologies are a bit clunky and they're improving rapidly, but you can see it all around. Wow, that's encouraging, Dennis. I want to stick with that topic, but pivot slightly. So I'm an individual who, let's say, is self-employed in a small business. I'm not with a big company. Am I going to have access to these sorts of tools as well? It's not just going to be something that's limited to somebody who works for a Fortune 500 company or something. You are. Because the way the technology works is that it's generally designed to work for all companies equally. It's actually easier to get it working in smaller organizations. So small organizations that are using the example I gave before, if you're using Microsoft 365, getting passwordless working is generally not a big deal because they don't have a huge collection of applications that they need people to sign into. It's a limited set. Whereas if you're a huge healthcare organization with 50,000 employees, boy, you've got a big challenge. You know, that's a very significant lift to, to go passwordless. But for your, you know, the average small business with tens or hundred employees, this is a project. It's not an ongoing journey that's going to take years. It will take months and then it's done. And there's I no going back. Once you go passwordless, that's... You're never going to want to go back again. You never yes. want to go back. Now, can you clarify this for me and maybe some other people were listening, Dennis? I see these applications that are out there that tell me that I can go, I don't know if it's passwordless or maybe just use one password. My friend has something like this. Is that what you're talking about or is it something else? So your friend might have an application called OnePass or LastPass? Yes, something, something like, like that. that. Yes. Something. Right. Okay. Tell him he's smart. So that's a good tool. And the way to think about it is like a secure vault, like a secure database with one really strong password to get into it. 
And so you can have all your accounts and all your passwords inside that vault. And you never again have to remember them. But you have one really strong password to get in there in the first place. And that might be a whole sentence. Could be something like, I love the Looking Forward podcast and listen to it every Saturday. <laughs> I should you be know, something so long and obscure. Yeah. Um, and and that, that a bot cannot figure out. And then inside there, you just got all your accounts. You can see them all and just click launch this bank account, launch this social media, launch this whatever. And it makes it really easy to manage, you know, your dozens or hundreds of passwords. And we see now from our study, we know some of the young generation, Gen Z and young millennials, they've got well over a hundred passwords. They're early in their working career. They've got more passwords, more accounts than any other generation. And it's growing like crazy. So the password problem is going to get a lot worse for many people before it gets better. Where it gets and better. that's why I'm so passionate about tackling this and being deliberate, being very focused on resolving it before it gets out of control. For sure. Would LastPass be something very similar to what you're saying is happening and will continue to happen? Or is it an alternative to... It's an alternative and it's an interim step. So right now, we know from the research that people are saving their passwords on their phones and in notebooks and Excel spreadsheets. Well, I would recommend something like LastPass as an interim step between where we are now and where we want to be in the future with no passwords. Gotcha. So if you don't work for an organization who has a stated goal of going passwordless, that's absolutely get LastPass. It only costs a few bucks and it could save you 48 Bitcoin. Yes. <laughs> seems to be the going, the going rate for a ransom these days. <laughs> so if you don't have 48 Bitcoin to spare to give to a cyber criminal, then by all means, go, on, you know, go ahead and spend $5 a month on or whatever the price is for a tool like that, because it might just save your bacon. Well, thanks for that one tip. We'll have you give some others coming up here. <laughs> I want to ask you one other thing about the future before we get into opportunities. You've also been looking at employee privacy concerns and you've looked at employee retention as it relates to all this. Can you synopsize your thinking about those issues and how everything plays into what you've been talking about with security and passwords and other stuff? I can. And privacy is a huge topic. And, and we were blown away by what we learned from the study on privacy. The young people that we were most interested in, the Gen Z employees, they're kind of blind to security, okay? They don't really hear what companies are saying to them about security, but they are hyper aware. They're really sensitive to anything about privacy. Mm. They actually read the privacy policies. They pay attention. They talk about them in a way they don't talk about security. And the part I haven't figured out in my own mind here, Jeff, is why? Because when I look at their, their behavior on social media, they share so much about themselves on social media, <laughs> but they do so very consciously, very deliberately, that they kind of know what they're doing, but they're a lot more focused on privacy than other generations, right? Very, very focused. And when we look at the different generations, this gives us a really good clue, a really good insight into the future. If we want to know what the workplace is going to look like in three years' time or five years' time, then the answer is right in front of us. We need to study and observe Gen Z. Because all the behaviors and perceptions and attitudes they brought to work over the last couple of years when they joined the workforce will become mainstream. And the reason I say that is that Gen Z is a little bit special. They are demographically, they're now between 21 and 23 years old. Okay. So they probably graduated and they probably joined their first employer, got their first job during the pandemic. They may have joined the workforce remotely, mm. not working in an office 
but joined remotely. So they have a very unique worldview. They only know work through the lens of a remote employee. They never knew what it was like to come to work in an office-based setting and socialize like we all did. Okay, we know what it's like to go to work and have lots of loose links with people around the organization. Not just the people you talk to every day, but all those very loose connections you have with different people in different apartments and you meet them in the kitchen or you meet them in the hallways and you go for lunches and you have welcome parties and farewell parties and drinks on Friday. And all that helps to develop a sense of belonging and a sense of identity. And like, I know who I am in this company and I know what I'm here to do. And I kind of understand other people. I know where I fit in and I know what's going on. And that sense of context and, and belonging. And Gen Z, who joined during the pandemic, see the same people on the screen, on Zoom calls or Teams calls, but they're missing all those loose links if they're not in an office setting. They're missing that sense of belonging and that sense of context and all the social side that goes along with working in an office-based setting. So their worldview is different. That kind of explains them a little bit demographically because they joined during the pandemic. And then psychographically, they're very unique because Gen Z is the only generation alive who cannot remember 9-11. Ah. Now, no matter where you are in the world, where you live, I bet most people can remember who you were with, what you were doing, and where you were on the day of 9-11. Okay? It profoundly impacted all of us, wherever we were in the world. It was a really big deal, except Gen Z. They were running around in nappies, <laughs> and they had no recollection of the events of 9-11. Sure. And for the last 20 years, we all lived in this world where security was a big deal for us. Macro security for our countries and our economies and now digital security. But Gen Z were not impacted in the same way. So they've cruised on through their education and now their poor kids have entered the workforce during a pandemic and they just have a different frame of reference coming into the workforce. And their behaviors around security in the workforce and their attitudes to security and their attitudes to privacy are different to everybody else. And those kids have more passwords than anybody else. They're using more applications than anybody else. And so in a way, they present a risk to the workforce. But they also present a tremendous opportunity because if we can harness their energies and learn to work well with them, we'll be able to do great things. Because if we think about it this way, every year in May or November, depending on which hemisphere you're in, more and more Gen Z will join the workforce. They're graduating from college, they come into the workforce. So over the next four or five years, the workforce is going to be flooded with young Gen Z workers. Meanwhile, we're getting older, right? Yeah. No, I'm not. But yeah, I know. What you're you not. Okay. You're special. <laughs> um, I'm getting older and so is my generation. But yes. Gen Z is going to take over. And yes. so the more we can anticipate how they're going to show up in the workforce and what they're going to bring to the workforce, the stronger and better we can make our organization. Yeah. Those are great insights. Thank you for sharing those. I really appreciate hearing about that. I hadn't really thought about how profound the implications were of the Gen Z group. And you certainly laid that out. Let's shift to the other aspect of looking forward. We call it looking forward also because typically somebody says, I'm looking forward to something. It's not anything bad. It's something good, right? Yes. And on looking forward, what we're looking forward to are opportunities. You've already talked about it. You know about it. You've written about it. 
A lot of people lost their jobs during COVID. A lot of people quit their jobs during COVID. You've got these young people, whether they're Gen Z or even before the Gen Zs, or maybe I should say after the Gen Zs, the ones who are still in college, trying to figure out what do I do for a living? You have people who are job seekers, career seekers, investors, entrepreneurs. As you take that mishmash of people and you think about all the things that you're working on, that you're consulting with companies on, Dennis, that you're concerned about, where do you see opportunities among any of those disparate groups of people? Yeah, I see opportunities to continually improve the collaboration tools we're all using. We got through the pandemic because there's a generation of tools we all use today that have served us reasonably well. But I consider them to be kind of 1.0, early stage for the purpose they serve. And I think a lot more work needs to be done to advance those tools for video conferencing, for collaboration, for document sharing. We've got a long way to go as a society and that the big technology vendors know this. And there's an arms race on between some of the technology vendors to serve the market. And I think for young entrepreneurs, thinking about those opportunities, thinking about how people work remotely, truly remotely, and being able to have a freelancer in Pakistan bid for a piece of work in the United States or vice versa, and enabling very fluid commerce and collaboration to happen and melding together translation services and chat services and video and all sorts of technology tools that may be disparate today, bringing them together in a very coherent way. I think there's a ton of opportunity. What kinds of jobs are we talking about? Not everybody's going to be at a startup and be an entrepreneur. What kinds of education do people need? Talk a little bit more about that, please. I think the world is flat now, or it's getting flatter. And the idea that you can hire somebody on the other side of the world to work for your company or for you as a designer or a programmer or a marketing person or a search engine specialist, there's just so many specialist roles that would be contracted out to individuals or small companies or boutique agencies where geography just doesn't matter. We don't care what time zone you're in as long as you get the job done and you communicate effectively with us. We just say the world is flat from a labor perspective. And I can see a future where you have entrepreneurs in different places with different skills working together to form these virtual companies that may not be domiciled in one country, but maybe for example, a designer in Pakistan and a programmer in Taiwan and an engineer in the Ukraine and a a CEO in America working together to go after a government bid and winning it because you've just got the best skills working together. Yeah. And so it's not about having companies anchored in a specific jurisdiction. It's about having the best skills to come together to get the piece of work done. Let me come back to that. So if you were advising somebody who either is in college or wants to make a job change or a career change, what kinds of skills do they need to hone in order to tap into these virtual company opportunities and the other tech opportunities that you've been talking about? I would say communication is going to be number one. Okay. The ability to communicate, collaborate, work well with people in different languages, different cultures. That's going to be number one. And then your discipline, whether it's programming or design or finance, whatever it is, you need to be really good at what you do, but you need to be a great communicator and collaborator. Yeah. Once again, communication, which was my major 
becomes very key. And I just want to add to something you said that's related to my business. I have just hired a couple of people. One of those individuals is living in Serbia. I'm in Pennsylvania. And I have entered into a partnership with two companies that are based in Africa. So amen to what you said. The world is, as Tom Friedman said, getting flat. What I'd like to jump to now is we'd like to take our guest experts and have them share a few tips with our listeners based on their expertise. And you're an expert, among other things, on people and technology, people's use of technology, especially as it pertains to the workforce. But I realize some of this could spill over into our private lives. For example, the password stuff, we didn't get into the whole dimension of our private lives. Forget about work. Those of us who aren't going into an office, aren't affiliated with a company anymore. What tips, and I know you could talk for hours about this, Dennis, just a few solid tips that you could give to employees and freelancers and employers on how they could maximize the use of their devices without compromising their privacy or their security. I'm going to start with the security one because I've heard recently some disturbing trends about ransomware attacks coming down to an individual, Mm. not just an organization or a bank or a government department, but down to the level of an individual where somebody manages to get into your Dropbox account, for example, and encrypts your files and says, hey, Jeff, it's going to cost you a Bitcoin to, to get all that stuff back. So that worries me. And so you mentioned LastPass and OnePass and some of those tools before. My advice would be get something like that. If you are a freelancer, if you're working remotely, if you're a one-man band or a small company, protect yourself from the most obvious source of attacks, which will be password compromises. Do the basics. And and if you can take any opportunity to eliminate passwords or use single sign-on, do so. And everywhere you can turn on two-factor authentication, even though it might seem like a pain having to do these codes, do it because it's protecting you. I think that protection from two-factor authentication is 99.5%. So the chances of someone busting your account if you've got two-factor authentication on are very, very low. Then just move on to the next target who doesn't have it. Use a password management tool. Go passwordless if you can. Use two-factor authentication. Think about your security and all the data you've got. Because if somebody gets into it, you are in trouble. It won't be pretty. Yes. This is really the point of entry is what you're saying. Correct. It's the point of entry. And the key to that point of entry is your password. Yeah. So I just can't overemphasize the importance of being really vigilant around passwords and getting away from any simple passwords. Or you do need to keep passwords, make them long and obscure. Such great advice. And I have to tell you, it makes me laugh. I'm so glad we talked. This same friend who's very computer savvy, he fixes computers. Well, I know he talked to me about one of these things and it may have been last pass. I was just telling him about how I'm really annoyed. And you said this, that with Yahoo, they're asking me when I sign out, I always got to go in with this what do you call it? The two-step process, two-step work. And it's like really annoying. I'm thinking, you know who I am. Why do I have to keep doing this and waiting for this special weird code of letters to come across my screen? And I'd like to figure out, how do I tell them to stop doing that? And my friend was saying, well, this is where we're going. But you're telling me, no, that's a good thing. So I could tell you how to turn it off. 
I won't, because that would be a really bad idea. <laughs> you could just go to settings and turn it off. But seriously, Jeff, that would be a really bad idea. And to all your listeners, said, don't turn it off because one morning, you know, you log in as jeff.ostroff at whatever account you're, you're on. But one morning, somebody else is going to log in with your username and your password from a hostile country. Mm. And the next thing that will happen is your phone will go bing and say, Jeff, here's the code to log into your account. And you go, what? I didn't log in. Yeah. But it might have been a bot on a Linux machine. And I won't mention any countries. Yeah, don't mind. But this is an automated thing. And they're just trying a million computers every day. And they happen to bust yours. And they're trying to log in. And if it wasn't for that two-step code, you probably would have got done. So it's happening all the time. All the time. It's all around us. So I really would like you to send an email to Yahoo and tell them thank you for that very annoying (laughs) two-step process every time I log in. Because it's probably saving you. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm so glad we talked. And this is another reason why. I'm going to ask you one last thing before we have you tell everybody how they can get in touch with you and anything else you want to share with them. And I just want a very quick answer to this. We're talking here about the impact of COVID. And we're talking about how so many people are working remotely now. I had one guest on who talked a little bit about this, what I'm going to ask you, but I'm very interested in your perspective because you're so into this stuff. Do you see no turning back? You said there's no turning back on the password. Do you see any turning back on people coming back into the office again? Is this the way it's going to be from here on out? Most people are just, maybe they'll be hybrid, of course, but not really seeing much of a turning back and continuing to see this trend in remote work. I do. I do see a turning back to a certain extent, not permanently. Sample size of one. In our company, we do Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the office. Tuesday and Thursday, we work remotely. And it's very, very visible and obvious where the energy happens. The energy happens in the office. People come in and somebody brings cookies or someone else brings donuts and there's chatting and joking about each other. And the energy happens in the office. And then we go home and we're super productive working remotely. And I think many companies will find their own routine, whether it's one day a week or two or three days a week. And having that mix of energy, productivity, and that back and forth, I think that is going to become a beautiful thing in the future. We will see other organizations just say, no, forget the office. We're going to turn off all our office-related expenses and investments. And we're going to put all that money back into supporting our people with better tools and technology and maybe some annual events. And then this morning, there was an announcement from one of the banks in New York saying, saying to people, we want you all back in the office. But if you choose to work remotely, you can take a 20% pay cut. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we're going to see this push and pull for a while between organizations, between the employer and the employee. We will see this push and pull. But smaller companies will figure this out faster because they'll just talk to their employees and say, hey team, what's going to work for you? And they might agree that, hey, Monday's a horrible day to commute. Let's meet on a Tuesday or a Thursday. And let's not go into the city anymore because parking is a pain. Let's yeah. meet in this cafe out in the suburbs and have a workshop. Yes. You know, people, small teams will figure this out so fast or probably have already figured it out. And big companies will spend a year trying to get their policy right. Yeah, the advantage in that case of being small and being able to make decisions quickly. I love your point, by the way, of the blending. It's a different kind of a hybrid 
the blending of the energy in the office with the productivity when you're at home. I think that's insightful. This has been incredible. So many great pieces of information and insights. How can our listeners, Dennis, find out more about you, Mobile Mentor, your endpoint ecosystem study, anything else you want them to know about? Oh, thank you. Well, the company can be found at mobile-mentor.com. That's M-O-B-I-L-E-Mentor, M-E-N-T-O-R.com. And we specialize in helping organizations get that balance right between security and productivity, enable people to work on any device, anywhere, anytime, and be super productive. So that, that's what we do as a company. I'm the founder and owner of the company, as you know. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not as active as I should be or would like to be, but you can find me on LinkedIn. It's D-E-N-I-S. And my last name is O'Shea, O-S-H-E-A. And I'm an occasional visitor on LinkedIn and I shared the odd thing there. But uh, please do connect with me because I, I love to hear from people. And the study itself that we did, we called it the Endpoint Ecosystem. And it's on a website called endpoint-ecosystem.com. Anybody can download the study data for free. We did all of this to help educate and inform the industry as to what's happening. How are people actually working in their home offices? What risks are we taking? What does the future look like? What can we learn from today's behaviors looking forward into the future? And so anybody can download the research and use it. You can use it, publish your own blogs or articles as long as you mention Mobile Mentor in your whatever you write. It's great what you're focused on. I like the fact that you're not just concerned about this, but you're doing things to help address the concerns. Dennis, thank you again so much for being on Looking Forward. I wish you nothing but continued success. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a privilege and thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Well, that's it for this episode of Looking Forward. Hey, I'd highly recommend you check out the first part of my conversation with Dennis O'Shea, episode number 95. To hear that and other Looking Forward episodes, please visit www.jeff-ostroff.com or the podcast hosting site of your choice. And while you're at it, why not tell a family member or friend about this episode or any of our nearly 100 other episodes? Any one of them will not only point you in the direction of a global trend and its opportunities, but it will also make for a great conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.